Welcome to a new edition of the Canadian Crew Podcast. I'm Jorge Castillo. A character drama disguised as a procedural, Prodigals gives a fresh coat of paint to the proverbial return to the hometown. There are no plain heroes or villains in this story, just a group of people struggling to keep their head above water. Friendships have grown complicated by familiarity, resentment and lies. A lot of lies. Prodigals was directed by Michel Ouellet and written by Nicolas Carella, who also co-stars in the film. Ouellet and Carella are married and have collaborated in numerous projects, including the 2013 feature After Party and the digital series Paranormal Solutions Inc. I had the chance to talk at length with Michel and Nick. We discussed the challenges of juggling multiple roles on set, how to make VC look like Northern Ontario, and how to best use screen testing to improve your film. Enjoy. Nicolas and Michelle, welcome to the Canadian Crew. Hi, thanks, thanks so for much having for having us. Having us. Uh, great talking to you. Um, full disclosure, uh, Nick and I worked together some time ago in some movie, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Or, or, uh, you were uh, you were the sound you were the sound uh, man for uh, a movie that never got released. So, if any one of you could introduce Prodigals for us. Okay, well, Prodigals is a feature film. Uh, it's playing in Vancouver uh, tomorrow and Tuesday at Van City Theatre, and it is about a law school dropout called Wesley who returns to his hometown of Sault Ste. Marie after leaving five years earlier to assist with a trial. And we find out that Wesley um, is not happy with his life in this big city and wants to come back and be with his friends, but mostly win back the girl he left behind, Jen. Uh, Jen's played by Sarah Canning, and Wesley's played by David Alpe. Correct. Um, this is, uh, well, this is not an original, it is an original script, but this is based on a, tel- in a stage play, if I'm, not, if I'm correct, right, Nick? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so um, the, the, the playwright, uh, Sean Minogue, uh, wrote a play that actually was produced in Vancouver, I think, uh, five or six years ago. I think 2011. Uh, 2011, uh, by a company called Twenty uh, Something Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, the producer and director of that show was uh, a woman named Sabrina Everett, who's actually the executive producer of the film, which is uh, kind of a nice tie-in. So she developed that 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 for the stage uh, with Sean, and then uh, when I came on board to. Uh, to participate in the movie, uh, they had, uh, they had uh, the, the company Whiskey Films, uh, those ran by uh, Jameson Parker and David Kay. They had had the rights to the uh, to this to this screenplay, and uh, when they brought me on board, uh, it was really really kind of an interesting situation because they. Uh, Jameson had been in the original production, and they really loved this uh, this story for the stage. But it really did need to be massaged and create uh, uh, and turned into a, a movie. Uh, so when I when I was reading, there was already a, a, a film adaptation of the play uh, written by Sean. Uh, but when I when I read the when I read it, I really felt as though um, I wanted to take the story in a completely different direction, and I was really thankful that uh, the executive team would let me do that. So it went, um, yeah, I took several, several liberties with the, with the story and uh, the relationships and that sort of thing. But uh, I will say that there was a really nice, I really tried to capture, um, you know, the essence of the story, like the, the, the idea of the homecoming and all that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very interesting when people talk about adaptation, especially from two 
you know, it's, it's when something exists already as a, as something that's performed, people think it's just like, it's almost like a transcription, right? People think that, but uh, I, I think when you're changing mediums, you got to really think about uh, capturing the essence of something. Like it's, it's almost the same as taking an article or, or, a, or, a, or a painting and trying to make it into a movie. Like you still, you're trying to capture all the feeling, uh, even if the actual uh, text is completely different. Right, and there is a third iteration when you, when you're actually shooting the script which is not necessarily that close to the page, or was it in this particular case? Uh, it was, actually. We were pretty, uh, everybody was pretty bang on with the lines. We really tried to, we did a lot of development, uh, Nick, myself, David Jamison, and Sabrina beforehand. So we had set on kind of the story the way that we had wanted it. And then with the actors, um, some scenes were, were changed, but I found for the most part, they really uh, liked the script, and so they wanted to say the words that were written. There were a couple of improvised scenes, like there's a card-playing scene and a party scene that was entirely improvised. That was one sentence on the page, and we kind of expanded that out on the day. But I also did some rehearsals with um, David and Sarah before we started shooting, so we went through the script with a fine-tooth comb, and then we worked with Nick on any rewrites or things that maybe didn't sit well in the actors like on their tongue you know um mm -hmm. and talked through that so because we knew that we were shooting you know this is an independent film and we knew that we were shooting this on a very tight schedule so we wanted to of course i want there always to be room for improvisation and for discussion but we also knew that because of our schedule it was important to make sure that we were going in with the script that worked i actually uh, remember one time michelle uh and and uh, I think it was the first time that Sarah and David had met. You guys had went out for Chinese food and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, but it was great because Michelle was actually telling me that this one scene was too verbose. Uh, but then um, after they had rehearsed it, she's like, no, the scene's great. So, you're whatever. so that felt really good. But ironically, half the scene got cut out in the edit. So maybe she was right the first time. Hmm. Now, the one thing is that the dialogue, even though it was close to the page, it sounds very naturalistic, so I'm guessing you did uh, a lot of work. Because one of my regular problems with uh, independent Canadian cinema is that you can tell that this is a this is written word that doesn't quite sound nat natural when coming from the actors. However, I, that this movie has that doesn't have that problem at all. It seems well a uh, very natural dialogue. Well, th thank you. Uh, well, the, I'm, I'm gonna take some credit, but also give some credit to other people, too. Um, I'm an actor. Uh, I, I play Nips in the movie. Uh, and so the, I know when I'm writing a script, that's kind of um, – I say everything out loud, every single word, every single sentence. In fact, um, one, of the, one of the things I, – I, why I, I wouldn't say I feel precious, but what I feel really connected to a lot of uh, dialogue is because I've, I've played all the parts already mm -hmm. by the time, you know, that's happened. Like, I've played Jen. I've played Nina. I've played – all those roles, and, and I try really hard to even, even when, when, if, a, if, a, if a line doesn't sound witty, like mm -hmm. if it sounds redundant, but that's what came out naturally, I, I like to try to include that as well, uh, because we don't always have a snappy answer. And actually, that's one of the big, um, I'm actually doing, uh, did an, uh, an, uh, I worked with, a, on, our, on my next movie, uh, Us in Nine Months, uh, with the playwright Dave DeVoe. Uh, we, we have a lot of discussions about translating plays to, to film, was that like when you're writing a play, it's almost essential for the dialogue to be witty. Like that's yeah. because you have like one location or something like that. And it's actually you're trying to almost strip all the wit 
a way to make things sound more natural because we're not that quick uh, in life. But uh, the, the credit I do want to give also is to the actors. I mean, like you have someone like someone like someone like Sarah Canning, for instance, never changes a word, doesn't change any. Um, not a syllable, not, no, no grammar, like everything to the period, to the comma, and she just likes to make it work. So, like, I was going to say that Michelle did a really good job with the with the casting as well. Like, the actors we brought in were, were you know, took some lines. Actually, I'm going to throw this one out too. Brian, uh, Brian Markinson playing Junior. I was the most self-conscious about his dialogue with all the legalese and, um, and stuff like that, and it's like every time he'd say something, I'm like, Oh, that line's amazing, but you'd read it on the paper, and maybe it's not amazing. <laughs> so right. I was going to say, like, he's – someone like – if you have an actor like Brian Markinson, for instance, you could – he could read the phone book and sound amazing. He's, he's very good. Michelle, how do you zero on David and Sarah for the lead? Uh, well, David, I was a fan of David's work, I guess I could say. I didn't know him. Uh, weird fun fact, we did a play at the University of Toronto Drama Festival together. He was a lead and excellent, and I was in the chorus, not such a good actor myself. But um, I had just kind of followed his career since the Ararat days and uh, Slings and Arrows. And Wesley was a character for me that it was really hard to find someone to play that role because he's so much, um, you know, it's like still waters run deep and he's so cool and calm on the exterior, but kind of, you know, falling apart inside. So I just, um, he was somebody that I had just, he kind of came to me one day and then we looked and we realized that his representation was in Vancouver. And so we reached out and the first time we met was, you know, only a couple of weeks before we shot. Mm -hmm. um, and then with Sarah, Sarah and I had a bunch of mutual friends, and she, I just always really loved Sarah's work. I think she's a great actor. And, you know, we, Nick and I had gone to watch a sh uh, movie, Edward, by um, Kyle Rideout and Josh Epstein. And I, I saw it, I remember this. Yeah, and so she played a role in that, and I thought that she was phenomenal in that. So Nick and I went to go see that at Vanity Theatre, and when we left, I said, you know, I really think that she's the right person for this part. Um, and then we sent her the script and um, went off from there. Mm -hmm. Now, you both uh, do a number of, use a number of hats in this yeah. film. Producer, <laughs> director, <laughs> actor, writer, producer. Yeah. Do you have any issues with the need of disassociate this role from another role? Or it, you didn't really have the opportunity to think too much about it? Well, I mean, for me, I mean, I was, when I finally got onto set, I was lucky because I had a great team. Uh, Danielle, Scott Roy, and Robin Nielsen were, ran that set, and of course the producers that I worked with. But um, leading up to it, yeah, it's hard because it definitely ate into my prep time, full disclosure, mm -hmm. because, you know, you're producing an indie, you're running around, you're trying to, you know, get locations and, you know, close your financing and get these, you know, cash. We closed our financing like two weeks before we went to camera. So yeah. that was very stressful. Yeah. Actually. So, you know, so I will say, like, I'm ho hoping that, though, who knows how that's going to work out, but going forward that, yeah, I'll be able to take a little bit less of a uh, pr producer role uh, and a little bit more creative leading up to, but then again, on set and in post, like, it was, it was wonderful. Yeah. I know for me personally, I, I do find that, uh, you know, uh, 
being like it's it's very stressful for me to be a producer uh, on a film. Again, I want I do want to mention Robin Nielsen and Danielle Stotroy for really they were our, our uh, co-producers and production managers and production coordinator, and they were really really amazing in, in, in trying to insulate me, but unfortunately you can't insulate everything. <laughs> we, I remember on the, uh, on, on actually my largest acting day, uh, it was like the, you know, uh, the kind of the more emotional scenes between Nips and Jen. Um, you know, that was a day where I'm, I'm on the phone in between every take trying to coordinate our shoot in Sault Ste. Marie, you know, and it, I felt that for me, sometimes it, it definitely detracts from the experience. Uh, but I do also find it, you know, Michelle and I collaborate a lot, and, you know, what's very difficult is both being producers and then also having the writer and the director sometimes wind needing to have, like, a creative dispute, let's say, on right. set. And Absolutely. then also, like, not to out us as a married couple, but we're also married. So the thing is that what ends up happening is, you know, a, a, a creative dispute can sometimes be – from the onlooker's point of view, a lot worse, you know, like <laughs> if people tend to like uh, imbue uh, something where it's just like a writer and a director having um, need, needing to collaborate, maybe sometimes in, in a more of an aggressive way, mm -hmm. it, it, there's a lot more kind of put on top of that. Yeah, and I think it, it is. It's, it's the personal hats are sometimes the hardest hats to wear uh, as opposed to the professional ones, you know. Um, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. But it's you... also... Oh, sorry, sorry go ahead. I was just say it's also the best because it's like I know that he'll always have my back and I know that he trusts me implicitly and we have a great shorthand. Mm -hmm. Um and I know I can always win with him. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I will always lose the argument, but also I also know from a, from an acting point of view, especially if I'm not feeling particularly on that day, that I know for sure that that Michelle won't let me leave a scene without getting it. So that's good too. Correct. Do you have a shorthand, a technique, something that will just make everything smoother in case of need? I don't know. I think it's just been honed and developed over years of being together. We've been married 14 years. We've been working on projects for 10. So Longer, actually. We, 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 we produced our first play together in 2000. That's a oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long time ago. But, 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 uh, but actually, funny enough, uh, I tried to do to create like a hand signal for when I wanted to have a like a, a disagreement <laughs> that <laughs> it, it, that backfired really badly. I hate that hand signal more than anything. I never want to again. <laughs> that was what I would do is I would put my hand like my hand on my chin or like my finger up beside my mouth and thinking that like if I do this then we can have go have a Soto conversation in the corner about something I'd like to change or whatever. And then I would do it, and Michelle would ignore me, so that I would find myself just slapping he my face. He hitting his face so hard that he would have a bruise trying to get my attention, and I would ignore him. Because we, of course, had, like, no video village. We had one small monitor, and everyone's around it crammed in a closet. Or so a there's no, so yeah, there's, there's no, no whispering. There's no whispering being like, you know, but you can't do that when you have like as soon as I open my mouth, you know, you have continuity, makeup, everyone's just like staring, be like, ooh, what are what are they what are they talking about? You know, it's it's not really um, the yeah, that most was fun. Kinda, that was kind of funny. We had a couple, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but but in terms of shorthand, I think we do like I think we're definitely uh, creatively aligned. Like right, like even right now, um, we're 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 collaborating on a couple of projects that where Michelle's sort of like the central writer on on it and uh, on them and, and and it's like we're you know we we spend 
we don't even have a, we don't have a TV. Like our evenings are spent usually drinking wine and and, and talking shop. So, um, yeah. you know, that's the way that works. Okay, let's talk shop a little. Uh, so, how many sh how many days do you have to shoot in Susan Marie? And where and do you shoot? Do you, well, I imagine that you had to shoot in Toronto a couple of days too, right? We actually shot. So it is a Vancouver. It is a Vancouver production. The total shoot day was 22 days. We shot 18 in van. Well, in oh. the, mostly in the GRVD. Like we shot in Mission. We shot, you know, um, Langley. All of that stuff. And then we shot four days in Sault Ste. Marie. So we did some of the exteriors in Sault Ste. Marie. Some of the exteriors, like the bar, is actually in Mission. Um, wow, good job! I didn't notice any of this. That's awesome because that's that was one of we did we actually worked with a great VisFX team and they did some snow replacement because there was no snow. It was a like the coldest ever winter in Sault Ste. Marie and the mildest ever winter in Vancouver. So um, you know that was like a little bit of a challenge, but I tried to be and working with the director of photography, Lindsay George, tried to be smart about how we did our filmed our exteriors outside uh in vancouver and then of course we did a lot of um a lot of b-roll in sault ste marie and then you know the key scenes in sault ste marie the exter key exterior scenes actually it was really funny because every time we were shooting something in vancouver for some reason whenever something was getting tougher as a long day people would be like oh we can just add it to the sushi marie schedule right and finally we had to put our foot down and be like you know what we're going to the zoo with a total of five crew um mm -hmm. and we only have two days with the actors there so we have to stop adding scenes to sushi marie but the stuff that we did add out there was great i mean like as you said like it, it's almost like if you i mean you did this with the going even going back to the true heroines where it's like if you highlight the things you have and yeah. minimize, the things, minimize the things you don't have, you can really, uh, you know, trick the audience that way. Because even when you talk about the snow replacement, it's like, it really is just like a snow bank here and there. It's not yeah. like, mm -hmm. it's not like there's like, you know, when you see six or eight feet of snow, that's real snow. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, look, it looks cold. So I was wondering also, <laughs> when, when did you shoot? Well, we did shoot in January. So we shot principal photography January 17th. And mm -hmm. then I think we wrapped February 8th in the zoo so we did all of our vancouver stuff three weeks and 18 days in vancouver we did three six day work weeks bless the crew and then we uh took a skeleton crew over to up to the zoo and we brought some people up from toronto as well yeah and, I see. Uh, uh, yeah and actually what's very funny is that uh shooting in sioux st marie there's this one scene where it's like a one-er in the zoo, uh, I don't know if you remember a scene. There's in the backyard scene. No spoilers here. Mm -hmm. the, yeah, uh, where it's it's a, it's a wonder because the camera froze. Like that was it. That's the shot we had because oh, we were at minus 45 at that point outside. Wow. So yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, it just stopped, and it was like probably you know 1:30 in the morning, and Sarah had to catch a flight because she was working on another film, and uh, you know so we were just yeah we you know. Yeah, should should he be back in Vancouver for Planet of the Apes? Yeah, that's right. And yep. our DP Lindsay was like, we, it would be so nice to get the return. It'll only take a couple hours. And I was like, forget it, we're out of here. Like we're, you know, that's that's going to be what the scene is going to be. And I'm I'm happy with the way it turned out. Okay, fabulous. Now, of all the projects, I'm I'm assuming that you both have a number of projects in your night table. When do you realize that Prodigals was looking like the one that was actually going to happen? Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, it's funny you should say that because we, we were working on uh, another film 
uh, that's still to be shot that we're hoping is going to go in the spring this year. Um, and uh, prodigals came together really fast. Um, mm-hmm. We had uh, been we had partnered with well Michelle had partnered with Jameson and, and David at Whiskey um, before, and they were still kind of looking for financing. And then an angel investor came out of the woodwork after seeing uh, that this film adaptation of the play was was uh, was in actually uh, Jameson's bio when he was doing a show. Mm-hmm. Um, like a play, and so this angel investor came out of the woodwork, and uh, yeah, it just like I guess what happens is that usually when the when the financing comes together, that's that's the next project that goes. So that <laughs> came about is when the when the financing came about, um, you know, that would I was going to say that would probably have been in August or September of that year, and that's a new, I wasn't brought on to the project until after that, so. You know, I did a full page, a full adaptation in like under three months, and then we were shooting right away. It was very, very, very fast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's like it kind of came really came faster. And I guess it's like why why was the next one was mainly because uh, the financing came together. Uh, unless you have anything else to say there, Michelle? No, I mean yeah, the financing came before the script was ready. It's, it's, yeah, people say to me, you're so lucky with that. That's never going to happen again. And and unfortunately, I feel that that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So Telefilm came up first or at last? Uh, They came in in, at the post phase of things. So we, um, yeah, as we, as our Sault Ste. Marie uh, wish list expanded and expanded, uh, we found that um, we needed money for post. And also, of course, things that we didn't anticipate, like the weather and music, you know, licensing music. And there was a, a few other things, but mostly it was the, vi- the visual effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went in and we went in and they, they, yeah, they came in in the post phase. Actually, funny enough, we, that's a, we did a, a test screening on, on this film. Oh, and, that was and, one of the things we asked for money to. Yeah, uh, we did a test screening on this film actually while we had already applied to Telefilm for post. And then um, after the test screening, it became very clear that we needed to shoot a new ending. So then we mm-hmm. kind of re... So, uh, yeah, so uh, that, that's sort of like last little chapter. Uh, I think that's pretty apparent when watching the movie. Uh, the last little chapter is all added after a test screening. Basically what had happened was, you know, from the audience's point of view, they all seemed to really enjoy the movie, but they were really dissatisfied with the resolution. And okay. it's, And... and um, so we had to figure out what can we, how do we, fulfill, how do we give everybody what they want and feel resolved, but also not because we couldn't really go back and reach like do pickups and more thing. We had to actually add something completely new. That could be standalone because we couldn't go back to the Sioux. We couldn't wait another winter. You know, mm-hmm. all of that stuff would have been so just beyond the scope of what we could manage from a cost right. perspective. And also carving out money that you'd already requested like it's like you ask for a certain amount of money from telephone to do your sound and your and your this and, and and the visual effects but now you have to now start borrowing from those lines to do a whole new shoot so we were able to to, to we were able to shoot a new ending in a day um mm-hmm. and that was it was kind of great but uh it's funny I, I i realize personally as a producer i've never been an advocate of test screenings because i'm always like 
no, man, the art is what you want to express. It doesn't matter what the audience says. You just take your lumps or whatever. And then I hear you. Uh, yeah, but but after doing it, I'm like, wow, I will never not do a test screen. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I, I'm surprised I liked it so much. I wasn't there because I didn't want to be anywhere near, you know, because I wanted people to feel free to say what they, you know, to say what they actually felt. But it was mm-hmm. recorded so I could watch the session back and I could go through all the questionnaires. And it was really interesting because even sometimes, you know, somebody's note or idea or concern, it can be traced back to something, you know, something that doesn't land in the, you know, third act can be traced back to maybe the way a scene is handled in the first act, you know, or right. within the first 10 minutes of the movie or establishing a relationship a little bit clearer. And then you can go in and kind of re-edit a scene to make it, you know, to put a little bit more emphasis on maybe something that was missing. So I, I really liked it. I mean, I would have done more. We only did one. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a great tool for filmmakers if they just take it at face value and, you know, can take the criticism and, but, you know, still, you know, so ultimately I knew I was still going to do what I wanted, but it was great to have an objective, somebody objective come in and take a look at it. And I should really, we should really shout out to, uh, to Joel McCarthy, who actually ran our, our test screenings and yeah. he had a nice questionnaire and, uh, oh, yeah, and, re- and record and like led the talkback session and. It was it was really like he's a little bit more uh, academic and crowdsourcey than I am, so mm-hmm. that was really kind of that was really kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. Now let's talk about the story since you guys wrote up. Um, I noticed that the film constantly subverts your expectations. Uh, when I start watching it, I I I remember of a little bit of my cousin Beanie. Oh, this is okay. This is like a series, my cousin Beanie. But then it doesn't go that way at all. So I'm interested, uh, particularly from the writer, the writer's point of view, um, was this just something you had in mind, something that to prevent the audience to know where this is going? Well, actually, uh, it was very conscious. So I'm happy that you, <laughs> you picked that up. Uh, my, um, my, I kind of was, I wouldn't say it wasn't an exercise per se, but uh, I felt that like the story of someone returning home and uh, and uh, trying to win the girl back is a is a story that's fairly classic, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. could, is really could be susceptible to a lot of tropes. So I decided, kind of, well, first of all, I like those movies. So I, I also want I wanted to like fulfill the, those expectations, those kind of tropish expectations, but at the same time. Um, I thought to myself, if I lean into them and then do a switcheroo every time, it's almost like call it out and be like, here's where you think it's going to go and no, it doesn't. Here's where you think it's going to go and no, it doesn't. It was actually something I was very, very conscious of. And I felt that if, um, if you could keep the audience like guessing or in a kind of a state of mystery, you might actually have someone watch the whole thing. You know, it was very important to me. Like, um, like again, it's not a spoiler here at all that he's back for, He's, he's back for Jen, but mm-hmm. uh, you know that was something that you could classically save for like the midpoint of the movie. But I was like, you know, let's get this out of the way in the first like ten minutes of this movie, you know, and see where it goes from there instead, you know. Um, but yeah, you notice even from like the first scene to where the the, the, trans, the first transition of the movie is a little bit of a switcheroo, and that, that for me it's like um, I was intentionally trying to be like have the audience be like, oh, I know where this is going, and then being excited by being wrong. Right. You know? The other, the other thing that I noticed, actually, particularly about your character, Nip, is that 
the first impression is that, oh, this is, a, this is a good guy of the bunch. But then realize that he is about as toxic about as everybody else. I imagine that that was also your intention. No, that's actually it's a really nice way to put it because we actually talked about this when we did a read-through. And we're like, oh, poor Nips, poor Nips. I'm like, not poor Nips. Nips is just – he's just not the guy for her, right? And it's mm-hmm. like he wants her to fill a, a void in his own life and fill uh, almost a caricature or like, or like, like just fill a role. She, he wants Jen to be a particular person that she's not as well, you know? It's like he's as much of a product of being dissatisfied – you know, um, as everyone else. And, and I, I agree with that 100% uh, uh, about him not necessarily being – it's like – but the thing is you don't want to explain that, but at the same time it's like, yeah, he's like – he's a bad – he – if she stays with Nips, that is bad for her, you know? Right. <laughs> you know, he's actually quite selfish as well, you know? I kept thinking about playing that role, it, it, you know, where it's like – think about how cynical this is. I, I keep – like as soon as Wesley comes to town – Nips knows he's on the clock, you know? Yeah. And it's almost like he's okay with her not loving him as long as she stays with him, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's a weird, really she kind of... She ticks a box for him, you know? Like, he got the girl. He got the hot girl. He got the, you know, from the friend group. And he has his job. And, you know, so, yeah. I mean, that scene where they, you know, where they have that conversation in the kitchen and they, you know, about their relationship. And he says, you know, I... It's something along the lines of like I this is not who you are. Like to me that was such a telling line that he says to her because it's like he she has fit into some expectation. He's put her in a box in his own head of who she is and what she needs to fulfill. So I'm glad that you picked up on that because sometimes you know I never wanted Nips to come off as like oh poor Nips and Wesley's this kind of terrible guy. They're all flawed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, including Jen, right? And we're trying to like, it's one of the things where I always say to Sarah, thanks so much for playing her like a real person, because it would be really easy for Jen to be like a victim in a strange way, or also be this, this whole trend of everyone being like, oh, strong female, strong female, where it's like, you know what, I think a strong female is someone who like, is also shitty too. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be like this person that's like, uh, we always want to make people this like, we're, we're looking for archetypes all the time too. I, you know, one of the things that uh, I love the way that Sarah played the part is that it's really unapologetic, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, and, and I felt like that personally, you know, it's like, if you, this sounds so weird, but it's like, if you write a woman like a person, they're going to be a strong female, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That, was that the role you were always planning to play? Uh, to, to play? Oh me? Yeah. I wasn't planning on playing any roles actually oh. in the in the in in the movie. Uh, to be honest, if I could have had my choice, but uh, <laughs> uh, Jameson had the part of Greg earmarked for himself. I saw myself as Greg, to be honest. So I kept writing all these great lines that Jameson knocked out of the park. Good for mm-hmm. him, but uh, I would have liked to have played that uh, that role. Uh, but Greg, Greg is a great role. But when it got down to when we were actually casting, we were kind of talking about certain actors and stuff like that. Uh, I have to admit, I threw my own name in the hat. I'm like, well, if we're talking about so and so, I mean, I'm as good as so and so. So, and it's funny because I think when you talked earlier about wearing the several hats, I think Michelle was like, don't you want to like sit one out? I'm like, no, I don't. 
<laughs> I was like, all right, you're you're great. I love working with you. You know, I, I loved working with him and Sarah on the scenes. They were they were just amazing to direct and and so you know giving. So you know, I was like, it's the whole movie. I mean, I loved working with everybody. Don't get me wrong, it was a great mm-hmm. cast. But you know, yeah. But David and Jameson, uh, David who plays Benny, uh, they actually had approached me already in roles. So they were like, this is a project. We're taking it on. Do you want to come on and direct it? And then. You know, we became we, eventually our company became involved. But mm-hmm. so I I knew when I signed on, and they're both terrific actors. I knew when I signed on that they would be two of the characters, and and Jameson in particular, Greg. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was interesting because the role of Benny didn't exist in um, in the like it existed as someone that that, that that the characters had talked about, but he was never fleshed out in the in the script. And it was interesting that um, uh, I, well, Michelle first, and then and then she really sold me on the idea that Benny was this real foil for 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 Wesley. Like, uh, and I really ran with that idea about it. essentially he's they're no the worse. They're, they're the, same the same person, you know. Like, it's just that one guy has worse circumstances than the other. And actually, I remember when Michelle approached David. Kay, who played Benny, being like, we, she was like, I think you'll be great in this role. We're writing this amazing role that we think you should play this role because he wanted to play Elliot, actually, the the the, um, Andrew the Andrew's role. So right. it's actually very interesting that Michelle was like, uh, this part is going to be a great part for you. And actually, he's really rented it. He's been nominated for he was nominated for Leo, and he's getting a lot of recognition for that part right now because he's he's really really great he's at Benny. Great it, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Michelle, if you have had, say, $10,000 more, what would you have used them for, In? Oh, my God, that is such a good question. You know what? I would have always, I will say, I'll try to get a, a, a little bit more time. Like, I could, I could have gone for, like, you know, an extra, like, half a day in one place, you know, maybe in the bar, if we could have. Because um, some of those shoot days were, were we were running with two cameras, they were both handheld. We were trying to get just get the lines on camera because we had some really heavy days. So I'd say if I had a little bit more money, I would have liked a little bit more time on set, if possible. Okay. Uh, are you guys willing to reveal how much the budget was? How much the budget was? Yeah. <laughs> we uh, it was uh, ended up being now the but okay we're gonna reveal what the budget was. And you can determine how much of it was a real money. With cash. Okay. <laughs> we, we did some very creative financing on so, that. So the budget, end budget is $650,000. Okay. Canadian dollars. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's like a 25 cents U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Now, it's interesting yeah. that uh, it, it, certainly, it, certainly looks, it certainly looks every penny of it, which is, I'm, I'm sure that was your, your intention. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was, I was, credit to yeah the D, our DP as well and yeah we talked about that a lot too. Where our it's production like, design team was phenomenal as well. Yeah, Jenny Dirk. And, and it's kind of interesting because sometimes you're like for double the money you would have made the exact same movie. Do you know? It's like we actually had a lot of uh, you know uh, the crew worked for under 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 scale. We got uh, UBCP was really helpful with us too. We actually made the movie uh, you know. Uh, uh, as a co-op, you know, it was very, you know, everybody, everybody was working for below wages, you know what I mean? And that's the kind of the, the, the that's always a big thing, you know, it's like, uh, it, it, it's so hard 
the thing that people don't always realize with the movie is that just the more money you have, mm-hmm. it's just the more people get paid. You know? yeah. It's like you have the same amount of locations, the same amount of stress, the same amount of everything. It's like even now we're talking about, you know, it's like talking about a budget of $2.2 million, It's like, oh, my God, you don't get any more shooting days than you did on Prodigals. That's four right. times the budget. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's like it's you're making you almost the same that. movie. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I also have to give a shout out like um so UBCP was awesome, but also Creative BC and the government, the Cavco because a large like nearly like a large percentage of that was a labor rebate, tax credits. Um and I I say like that program, especially in British Columbia, really enables uh, you know, dom- domestic creators, local creators to get to almost sometimes it double their budget, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, close to, you know? Yeah, so we, we yeah, so we really utilize, we utilize that as well. It's why we didn't shoot in the Sioux, actually. People were like, we're like, the money goes further in, in BC. Yeah. I know that you both have careers, uh, developing careers in, in films, and how, how, you, how can you plan, can you even plan to leverage having a feature out into future projects? And if so, how are you planning to do it? Well, we, uh, part, well, so the people that are the company level film that distributed Prodigals, we're uh, working with them to distribute our next feature. Um, so us in nine months to play uh, Dave DeVoe. Um, so, you know, so that, I mean, to me, if I can get another job out of this, uh, whatever that may be, uh, and I, I have gotten, I've gotten to collaborate with the um, the composer David Ward, uh, you know, on a couple of music videos, and and so for me that's how I, you know, that's just for me. If people see it and I get another opportunity to get on set, that's kind of how uh, that that to me is success. And just in terms of um, leveraging it, um, I don't know. Well, it's a, it's a, it out there. I was going to say it is an interesting question because. As Michelle mentioned, that like you know we are partnering with Level Film on on, on another feature uh, right now, so that in itself has been uh, has been good. But you know, I think you're opening up another can of worms where it's like actually making movies in Canada doesn't do much for you in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like uh, Michelle just made a really funny you face. Just, there was a video you should see the look on the face. <laughs> but but, but <laughs> it, 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 it is really interesting because the truth is that um and i've been doing a lot of thinking about this because i've often wondered why um a lot of canadian actors careers only take off when they're on american shows and i've been really thinking about like you know uh, what uh, or why are quebecois filmmakers so much more successful than like say in english speaking canada and i think actually part of it is actually the fact that um we like our dem- even countries of a similar size like a similar population they have a domestic market because there actually is a language barrier. If you're mm-hmm. in Germany, you're making German language films. If you're in, uh, you know, whatever country that doesn't that doesn't speak English, you are. There is a mandate to make domestic um, product because, well, you can't just pump in American culture, right? right? And the thing is that in Canada, it's like truthfully. We all, all we have is American culture. Is something is being, even though we have completely separate points of view. Like I think politically, we are so. I mean, hard to say that living in Ontario, we just had Doug Ford elected, so maybe we don't have different points of view. But, uh, but, but the thing is that uh, the fact of the matter is that the Canadian voice, 
even though we speak the same language and live mm-hmm. in the same continent, is actually a different voice. And the thing is, I don't think that the consumer sees the distinction. And our market's so flooded with American stuff. And we have a small market. We're 10, are we like 10% of the population of the state? That's right. right. So it's like, so, so it's like, it, the thing is that everything is so commerce driven. But the thing is that I think as, as, uh, as domestic consumers, like we keep talking about buying local, but how about like watching local? How about actually thinking that like actually, you know, the way that someone feels about a love story in the in the Midwest is not the way that someone feels about a love story north of the border. You know, it's like these are it doesn't always have to be like Canadiana necessarily, but it's mm-hmm. like it, we do have different points of view. So the thing is, why not? Like I love, you know, I mean that was something for me with Prodigals. I really wanted to lean into. I love the Northern Ontario. I love that it was set in Northern Ontario. I have lots of friends that uh, from Northern Ontario. I spent a lot of my formative years up in in, in you know Sudbury and. And, you know, I just, it's th- those towns, it's, you know, it's specific and universal, I think. And But even talking about something like prodigals, right? It, like, you're talking about leveraging, right? It's like you make this uh, feature film, and the mm-hmm. first question is, where did it premiere? Where is it sold? Who's in it? And it's like, if you don't have these, like, recognizable uh, U.S. names or, you know, we did we, we premiered at a great festival, uh, Whistler. Sure. You know what I mean? Other, like, you could arguably, other My than favorite. Tiff. I would say, arguably, other than Kiss, perhaps the 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 the, the next the festival in Canada, and like people are like people are like, oh okay, but it's not like South by Southwest, or it's not like vetted by a market outside of Canada. So you know, at the end of the day, it's like you because that's the, again going back to the reviews thing, is that the truth is most people will not watch this film. They will decide whether or not this film is good based on. It's star rating on IMDb or the reviews that they can find really quickly online or how many of their friends said it was good. And, and if that's a dangerous thing, it's very difficult to leverage, right? If like, right. you know, if like you, you, you know, sorry, I don't, I'm going a little bit rambly, but I've often been thinking, no, it's a very interesting thinking, topic. you know, I've been thinking about it a lot because, you know, sometimes I think about myself as a, you know, as a, arguably a quote-unquote character actor in his late 30s, you know, it's like, what the hell am I even doing in Canada? Sometimes I think to myself, like, and then you think to yourself that I, that I let my career pass me by by not, like, hitting the gym and moving to L.A. in my early 20s, you know? You never moved to L.A.? No, we never, I know. Yeah, and it's weird, and now it's kind of like, did you miss that boat? Is it too late to go now? Is See, it I'm, like die, I'm like a diehard Canadian. I, I feel like I, I, I'd always want to live here. I love living here. Um, and it's just about balancing that my quality of life with, uh, cur- you know, potential career expectations. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's like, to be honest, like, you know, Which the is re- why I do a lot of my own stuff. Yeah. I develop and- a lot of my own projects. That's been a very strong driving force for me is I wanting to stay here and create work in Canada and work with Canadian people and tell Canadian stories, to be honest. What's the state of your next project then? Our next project? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where are mm-hmm. you at? Since you, since you seem to have a relationship going on with Level right now. We do. So we're in, we're in I, I'd say, like, polish and packaging development right Phase. now. Phase? Yeah, we have a great script. Uh, we have a great script. Uh, it's it, uh, been through a couple rounds of Harold Greenberg Fund development. It won... Um, the Canadian Film Fest uh, con- uh, contest, which is kind of the, the biggest cash prize contest in Canada, uh, and um, and moving 
And since and it was interesting because when Level picked up Prodigals, we had discussed this. Uh, we had dis- we had discussed the project with them. So it's at the script phase now. We're actually just in the process right now of attaching some cast. We've had some no one that we can name, but we've had some really uh, high-profile people um, express some significant interest. But we're still in the phase where um, you know it's a very delicate process, right? Because when you are raising your budget, which you know even though it's still a super modest budget, it's like this is kind of del- de- a delicate balance of wanting to um, make sure that a financier you know, sees, sees the value in it. But, uh, yeah, we're really close. Like, uh, we, we, if, if all goes well, we should be going to camera in the spring. So that's the best part of it. Yeah. Well, Michelle and Nick, great talking to you and all the best in your future endeavors. Thank you so much. Thanks for talking to us. Our thanks to Michelle Ouellet and Nicolas Carella. You can see Prodigals this Saturday, July 21st and Tuesday the 24th at the Van City Theater in Vancouver. Remember, you can reach us on Twitter at the Can Crew, on Facebook at the Canadian Crew page, or write us to the Canadian Crew email, all one word on Gmail. Also, you can help us keep the Canadian Crew ad free by contributing at thecanadiancrew.com/contribute. I'm Jorge Castillo. Until next time. <laughs>